I felt this morning that, yes, it's a time of rejoicing, but I felt the need to go back, back just a few days, right, to that Good Friday. It was a dark, dark day of betrayal when everyone left Jesus. Because the resurrection isn't all that exciting unless you realize it applies to you. The Bible says that Jesus is a great high priest who can fully relate to us in every way. The only reason the resurrection was so glorious was because of everything that Jesus was delivered from. And Jesus wasn't delivered on his own power and on his own authority. Think about that. It was the Holy Spirit who brought deliverance and life and resurrection into Jesus' dead body. Jesus was sinless, innocent. He was God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. So he can fully relate to us because that's what you are. You are fully man. But you've got the presence of God within you. The very presence of God inside of you. Jesus was scourged and then nailed to a cross. And that was nothing new. The Romans were brutal people. I mean, there, there wasn't a whole lot of crime in their communities because if you committed a crime, you got thrown up on a cross for all to see you suffering, suffering. There was nothing new and unique and special about the cross itself. What was special and unique about Jesus was he was a totally innocent man. Even by human standards, he was an innocent man. But he was the first person to be put on a cross who was fully God, sinless. Even his death sentence proclaimed this truth about him. If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be in Matthew 27 and 28. Verse 37 says, Above his head they placed the writing. The writing contained the charge that was against him. And it said in three different languages, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. See, even the, the condemnation against him actually declared truth about him. But of course, we know that they put that sign above him mocking him. It's kind of like a kick-me sign. I don't know. We had fun with those in high school. I don't know if anybody does that anymore. What do you do on Instagram? You guys have no fun anymore. It's just way more fun in person. But anyways, that's what it was. It was a sign ridiculing him. Ridiculing him. And it says that two rebels were crucified with him. One on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you really are the Son of God. Right? They all knew what he said about himself, and they are ridiculing him and mocking him. Anybody ever have anything bad said about them? No, am I the only one in here? Yeah, yeah. Almost all of us have. People, they, they talk smack, you know, whether it's true or not. They were proclaiming truth, but they're insulting him with it, ridiculing him with it. Said in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, they all mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. So let him come down from the cross, and then we will all believe in him. He trusts God. Think about that sting. He trusts God. How many times have we looked ridiculed because we trusted in God for something and it wasn't happening yet? And people mock you because of it, right? 
All of us should experience that, you know. I proclaim that God's a healer, and yet I got this disease that's incurable. But yet I believe that my God is able. People will mock you and ridicule you when you stand in faith. Can you imagine being Jesus, though? Because he said at that very moment he could go down legions of angels. He could, just, he could destroy the entire earth with just a command. But yet he hung there silently while they mocked and ridiculed him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. If God wants you, can you imagine? Man, this had to hurt. This had to hurt something awful. I mean, he he experienced the sticks and stones, right? I mean, his bones were exposed. His flesh was torn off at this point. It had to be those words that probably hurt a little deeper, a little harsher, right? Those words. If God wants him, then God will rescue him. Because he himself said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him started heaping insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. This this isn't a natural occurrence, is it? For three hours at high noon, darkness fell over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, Hey, he's calling Elijah. Remember the the dude that didn't die got caught up in the whirlwind? He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. They filled it with wine vinegar. They put it on a staff and they offered it up to him to drink. Everyone else said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. See, Jesus chose, he chose to be beaten. And the punishment that brings us peace was upon him. Jesus chose to be ridiculed and mocked And to not defend himself. To let his father be his defender. He was cursed so that we might be blessed. Jesus chose to be scourged, to have the flesh torn off of his body. Because by his stripes we are healed. Jesus Jesus chose to take on the cross. He was pierced. Pierced for our transgressions. Jesus chose to give up his life. Nobody took Jesus' life away from him. At that moment, he chose to give up his spirit. He was sinless. What's the penalty of sin? Death. If you've never sinned, you don't die. That's why Jesus was able to endure all those things that any medical person will tell you. He should have been dead long ago. They could not take his life from him. But he willingly gave it away. He died so that we might live. At every turn, Jesus chose you and I over himself. True agape love, true perfect love lays down itself, not thinking about its own interests for the benefit of others. And that is what Jesus did. He loves us. Jesus did what none of us could ever do on our own. He lived this life of trials and temptations and weaknesses. And he did it without ever sinning. He overcame at every single turn. 
Then he paid the penalty as if though he did sin. Since he didn't owe that debt himself, he can now freely apply it to others, to you and I. He can freely give away the forgiveness that he earned. Your freedom was not free. He earned your freedom. You were bought with a cost, with his everything. This is so significant. That's why I feel like God wanted us to go back a little bit. But we all know it gets way better, right? I mean, that's enough. That's enough for me that he gave his life on the cross. But Jesus always one-ups us. He is always extravagant. He is always better than we expect. Treats us better than we deserve. In verse 51, it says, At that moment when he gave his life, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Simple verse. So significant in its symbolism. You see, only one person, the great high priest, could go beyond that veil and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And even then, he had to go through all these ceremonial cleansings. Because if he did, and if he missed one single step, if he didn't get one little thing right, he died when he walked in the presence of God. Because our God is a holy God. But because Jesus gave his life, there's nothing separating us from the presence of God anymore. That veil was torn! And nobody else died that day. Nobody died in the presence of God that day. Now we can experience the presence because the power of sin has been broken. The power of death has been demolished. Now his presence can rest with us and bring us life instead of death because the penalty of sin, the full penalty of sin is paid in full. All of the Old Testament, all the Old Covenant has been fulfilled by Jesus. It says, then the earth shook, the rocks split, tombs busted open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Whew, you unleash the presence of God and things start happening. Things start happening in the presence of God. That's why we so value it here among anything else. Because all that we need is the presence of God. You don't need to hear me preaching. You don't need to hear me trying to play the guitar. You don't need any of us doing anything. You need the presence of God. You need an encounter, an experience with Him. It's the only thing that matters. It says they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. So it's a little like... I don't know, Becky watches all these drama chick flick things and they're always doing flashbacks and flash forwards and you have no idea where you're at in the story. What was that? This is us? Is that one like, I have no idea what's happening, what year it is. Is that the dad or the grandfather? Just anyways, you know. It's one of those scenes. This happened at the resurrection of Jesus, a little prequel of what's coming. And it says all those holy people were raised back to life. They went into Jerusalem and they appeared to many people. These two little verses don't get enough exposure. I mean, think about that. Picture yourself being there when darkness falls over the whole place for three hours. Then there's this giant earthquake and the veil is torn. And then dead people are walking around the city. I mean, can you imagine you're walking down the streets of Jerusalem and there's, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah and they're like, hey, what's up? You know, but in ancient Hebrew, you know. <laughs> They, they knew who they were. Like, it just, how can you see any of this and still have a hardened heart 
not believing that Jesus was the Son of God. Sadly, there were hundreds of thousands who had hardened hearts who still didn't believe it. It's amazing to think about. How could anyone experience all that and still have doubts about who Jesus was and what he accomplished? I wonder that about my old stubborn self. You know, how could you not believe it? But here we are. In verse 54, it says, When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake, saw all that had happened, they were terrified. And these were hardened men who had experienced battle, who had taken many lives, centurions. And it says that they were terrified, and they exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. It says many women were there. The women manned up. All the men fleed, but here are the women. They're the ones there at the feet of Jesus at the cross. And it goes on, and it says that they were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for all of his needs. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And then as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And so Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloths, and placed it in his own new tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and then went away. But Mary Magdalene the other, and the other Marys, they were all sitting there opposite of the tomb watching all that took place. And then you always see in the scene people who are in power and who are in authority and they will do, and they will pay anything not to lose even an iota of their power and authority, won't they? See it happening in our own nation. They don't want to give it up. And so the next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, he said, after three days, I will rise again. So Pilate, give the order for this tomb to be secured until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples, they might come, steal the body, and then tell the people, he's been raised from the dead. The last deception would be worse than his first. Pilate answered, take a guard. Go, make the tomb as secure as you possibly know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting guard. Then after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Marys went to look at the tomb. See, the first and the second days were dark days of grief, of confusion, wondering who Jesus really was. Did he really tell the truth? Can I really trust what he said? So it's okay if you're in that place. But on the third day, everything changed. Everything changed. Any area of doubt was washed away. Because again in verse 2 it says, there was a violent earthquake. A violent earthquake. Sorry, I was not ahead of myself here. 
For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. He came down from heaven causing a violent earthquake. And he went to the tomb. He went to the tomb and he rolled away the stone. It says that the guards were so afraid of him that they shook. They became like dead men. They became like dead men because his appearance was like lightning. His clothes were like snow. And the angel, they said to the woman, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus, the one who is crucified. But he's not here. He is risen. He's risen. He's alive. Just as he said. Because no word from God will ever fail, will it? No word from God. And then the angel, the, the angel wasn't afraid of the evidence. The angel said, come on. Look, look at the tomb where he lay. Then go quickly and tell all of his disciples, he is risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. I have spoken. And in verse 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. So if you're afraid to share the good news about Jesus, and yet you're excited about the good news of Jesus, then you're in a good spot. That's, like, that, that's the greatest description of evangelism you could ever read. Horrified, terrified to tell people about him, and yet so excited about him, right? That's evangelism. It's okay. Say it anyways, right? Because you never know what might happen. In fact, we see here Jesus might just show up as he did for these women in verse 9. So don't ever think that, it, that women aren't important in the kingdom of God, right? I mean, they were the very first ones to encounter the resurrected Jesus. And then they were the ones that were to go tell the guys the good news about him. Why? Because they were tough. They persevered. They didn't leave Jesus. They were right there the whole time. So they had the privilege and the honor of being the first to see him resurrected and to share the gospel. And so in verse 9 I said, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. They clasped his feet. They worshipped him. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go. Tell my brothers to go into Galilee. There they will see me. Then, of course, there's still those who are in authority. And it says that while the women were still on their way, see, this is all happening right at the same time, simultaneously. Some of the guards went into the city and they reported to the chief priests everything that happened. Why didn't they go to Pilate? Because they would have had their heads sliced off right then and there on the spot. They would have been put to death for leaving their post as Roman guards. So instead they went to the chief priests. They met with them, and they met with the elders, and any guys ever been kids and did something you shouldn't do with your friends? What do you do? They devised a plan. Okay, here's what happened. This is what we're going to say, okay? Okay, whenever we go see mom, like, this is how it went down, right? That's what they did. They tried to cover up the reality. It says they, they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a huge sum of money. And they told them, this is what you're going to say. The disciples came during the night, stole him away while we were asleep. 
If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him. We will keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money. They did exactly as they were told. And this story is still being widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. In fact, to this very day, the Jews still don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Go over there and try to tell the good news about Jesus. It still won't go well for you, even Israel today. Punishable by death. But no matter who is in authority, no matter what they say, no matter what wicked and evil scheme they come up with, no matter what they do to try to stop you and to try to stop the good news about Jesus from spreading, it'll never succeed. It will never succeed. No plan of man can ever be conceived that would stop the plans of God. And in fact, it only takes a couple of people and one great God to radically change the world forever. That's exactly what happened. In verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some still doubted. I mean, it, it's too good to be true. Can you imagine? I mean, you're worshipping Jesus. He's right there, but it's like, I must be going crazy. How can this be? I mean, I saw him slaughtered on the cross. He was sealed in the grave, in the tomb. You know, just, just too good to be true. And so there was some doubt there. But they worshipped anyways. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what authority is there left? None. Because even the authority that Satan and the demons have came from God himself. They can't do anything outside of uh, God's permission. All authority has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so no matter what you may be going through this morning, no matter what you're going through, there is still good news. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. This is not the end of the story. This is not the final chapter. And God always, always has the final word. God always has the final word. And the best part of it all is that you never go through it alone. You may feel abandoned. You may feel like Jesus did when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But don't walk by your feelings. Walk by faith. Because God had not turned his back entirely on Jesus, did he? He made everything right in the end. There was a season of darkness and pain and suffering, but that wasn't the end of Jesus' story. He was raised from glory. And you also are going from glory to glory. This is not the end of your story. Because Jesus, he is risen, right? And because he lives, we have a living hope. He died to give you life. He raised again to give you hope that this is not the end. This is not the end of your story. His word will be fulfilled in your life. All of our sins forgiven. The price has been paid in full. 
all of our mistakes we don't have to be ashamed of anymore because he can redeem every single one and work all things together for good there's nothing he cannot do jesus defeated sin defeated death and then he freely offers us that victory and as we shared this morning romans 8 reminds us that same spirit that rose jesus christ from the grave he lives in all those who have accepted his salvation everyone who's accepted his salvation has received the gift of the holy spirit and the spirit that he gave us does not make us a slave to fear you don't have to be afraid anymore isn't what jesus told the disciples and in the marys right don't be afraid don't let fear stop you he has given us a sound mind and a spirit of power and authority he reminds us that we are children of God and there is nothing that we need to fear sure we may suffer from time to time we may not understand what God is up to from time to time but that doesn't mean that it's going to end there it means that if we share in his sufferings we will also share in his glory there's another reminder from Romans chapter 8 we are going from glory to glory and any suffering that we may endure in this lifetime it is nothing in comparison to the glory that we are receiving on the other side of it that's why we go and we just keep on going we persevere we endure because we have been commissioned to go to be a disciple and to make disciples Jesus is with us Jesus is for us nothing can succeed in standing against us they may be able to knock Jesus down for a few days, but they couldn't keep him down. He is alive. And because he lives, even if life knocks us down from time to time, we can rise again. We can rise again in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit within us. We can run the race that Jesus has set before us with endurance and perseverance, with faith and with joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy. Even though life has got you down, you can still rejoice in the Lord because He has gone ahead of us to prepare a way where there was no other way. He is calling us to a victory from a victory. Amen. Proverbs 24 16 says this. This is in the message translation Don't interfere with good people's lives. Don't try to get the best of them because no matter how many times you trip them up, God loyal people, they don't stay down long. Soon they're back up on their feet while the wicked end up flat on their faces. Amen. Woo. Can you imagine the kingdom of darkness? See, it was a flip flop. God's people were mourning and confused while the demonic realm was rejoicing and celebrating they crucified the messiah but then on the third day all that flip-flopped satan is like what just happened here and god's people are rejoicing he's alive forevermore right this morning this is your truth if you're a god loyal person life might trip you up you may stumble and fall you may fall flat on your face but you have been given the power and authority to rise up again in fact Jesus is reaching out his hand to call you back up 
so that you can run another day. There is a new grace. There is a new mercy. There is new life this morning. And every day that you wake up, His mercies are new. His love is new. It's a brand new day. Right? What was, what's that TikTok song, Bethany, where's she at? It's a beautiful day, right? It's a beautiful day. Eh, 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 eh. No matter what, it's a beautiful day, right? Because He is alive, and that's what changes everything for you and I, right? He is risen. He is alive. We have a living hope. We have a living Savior. We have a God who has gone ahead of us, and He's calling us into that victory. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you this morning for earning for us the victory, for giving your life entirely, for giving your life into death, for taking on the curse so that we can truly live and so that we can be blessed. Jesus, forgive us of all of our sins. Forgive us for every time that we've missed it and every way that we've missed it. This morning, we trust you, Jesus. We trust you with our lives. Help us to live life your way so that we don't miss out on every good thing you have for us. We will get back up, brush ourselves off, and keep running the race toward you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, enjoy celebrating the Savior today, right? Yeah.